Right. You know where we are. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We shared just four verses last week. And we looked at the positive and the negative effects with our words. Words definitely have an effect. And, and that can go one way or the other. Words can really expose who we are, summing up another point of what we shared last week. And then there's the irritating endlessness of words from the foolish. There's the exasperation that comes from the words of the foolish. And we go from four things about our words to switching gears to four things about a nation. And we're going to talk about some leadership tonight. We're going to talk about some qualities in leadership. We're going to talk about some laziness in leadership. We're going to close with, with turning the tables onto us and our view and our response and our attitude toward leadership. So, as we get started, I just want to start with a, a few words that someone has written uh, to give us some thoughts on leadership tonight. And it says, leadership is necessary. Leaders are those who dream the dreams. Leaders are the ones who are the visionaries. They are the ones who have to answer the hardest questions within the outfit. They deal with the most complicated of issues. There is both risk and exhilaration in the full view that they have in mind. For they are the ones that are out front and continually address the perspective where we are going. Even a pack of Eskimo dogs, when hitched to a sled, need a leader. The main difference between the dog that leads and those that follow is the scenery. The one out front has a much better view. And everyone is important. What we have a focus on in the Word of God tonight, though, is the leader. There are good leaders. There are bad leaders. There, there are warnings. There are cautions about leaders and and there are things to give us peace about leaders. As we start out on the, on the low end, let's look at the bad leaders and let's look at some immaturity in verse 16. It says, Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child. It is rare, not impossible, but rare that young inexperienced, unskilled men make good leaders as they are. Thank God for mature, seasoned, skilled men that stay in the pocket who aren't selfish with their lifelong developing inability. You know, there, there are some who really want to go out with a bang. And they keep all of their wisdom or their experience to themselves, 
to, to try to protect themselves to, to shine as brightly as they can unto the end without passing along that wisdom and, and all of the, the wise things from their experiences to those who are coming up. Or maybe think about this. Think about how some leaders in, in many aspects, in many areas, they, they quit. And, and after gaining everything that they've gained, they quit. And all of that does not get to get passed on to someone else. Or maybe they stay quiet. And I'm not just throwing that out there to some, come up with something to say about it. I've, I've seen it before. Some just stay so quiet that they, they don't help and give out what they can of their experience to others. And that does not help the leaders of tomorrow. Young men need examples to bring them out of their fun and their leisure of their younger life into maturity and responsibility. You know, part of the problem with leadership today has to do also on the other end of it. Not, not on the seasoned leader, not helping the young leader, but then you have someone young who doesn't want to hear advice and they think they can do it on their own or they have a better idea. They know how they're going to, to bring things to a better place in, in their own little ideas. And that's a tragedy also. Thank God for the relationship that we're to have with God's people. 1 Timothy 5.1, the seasoned older Paul says to young Timothy, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father and the younger men as brethren. There's not to be competition in this area. There's to be a helping of one another. You know, above education, above unguided experience, is the example of an elder leader in the life of a young leader to to give them a mentoring. There is nothing that replaces a hands-on, person-to-person mentoring from someone experienced in leadership to someone coming up in leadership. I have a friend, and, and what, well, as we talk about leadership, we're talking about a nation, we're talking about a family, we're talking about church, we're, we're talking about business and work. We're, we're talking about all kinds of areas, but I have a friend, and he, he's a preacher. And he never had a mentor coming up. I don't know if he refused one, or I don't know if there just didn't seem to be one along the way. But his was on the radio, a, a preacher on the radio. It was as though he knew him because he listened. And, and look, maybe that, that's... That's sad to me and unfortunate to me, but maybe it's all he had and he did the best that he could with what he had. And, and he's, he's done some good. But there, there's nothing that replaces an in-person mentor in someone else's life. So, so the young leaders, 
are able to come to maturity. So the beginning of verse 16 would touch on an immaturity being a negative thing, but also indulgence in the latter part of verse 16 as a negative thing. It says, And thy princes eat in the morning. Leaders need to learn structure. They need to live structure. Fleshly enjoyment, it's very tempting for all of us. It's very tempting for leaders as well. It has quite an effect on many people, though, when a leader gives in to temptation. To be satisfied by delight rather than be steadfast in duty, it is a trap that, that the flesh, that the feelings can so easily fall into. What does it say? And thy princes eat in the morning. There's nothing wrong with eating in the morning. As a matter of fact, I, I believe what I've heard all my life. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I, the way I think about it these days, I kind of eat what I want in the morning, trusting that I can burn, burn those calories off throughout the day some. So, so if I'm ever going to go overboard with a meal, I, I, the way I think I'm going to do it in the morning, I, I think that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I really do. I think that, you know, you, your day is, you're going to feel good or you're going to feel bad possibly based on the breakfast that you have. This verse is not talking about that. That's not what this phrase means. You might think about this, though, as, as some people living to eat versus eating to live. But summing up what this really means, it's painting a picture of someone gratifying themselves rather than carrying out faithfully their responsibilities in life. It would speak of a selfishness and an indulgence in their lives. And when a leader starts doing that, that's tragic for him. That's tragic for those that he's leading. Immaturity and indulgence are things a young person has to grow out of or they're going to be a bad leader. Let's look at a good leader though now in verse 17. It says, Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles. When, when a leader comes from good leadership in the, in, in the family, from their ancestry. Some people trace that back and they see traits from, from grandpa to dad to, to son. And, and you could have someone young who has been leadership runs in the family. And you see some good qualities that can come up pretty quick there. One preacher I knew who, who had no Christianity hardly in his family, definitely no preachers, he was kind of snubbed and had people turn their nose up to him because he wasn't a preacher's kid or a, grandpa, or a, or a grandpa's preacher's kid. And, and so he got them back by saying, well, I think grandpa called his son to preach and then, and then the dad called his son to preach and God didn't have anything to do with it. That was ugly. He shouldn't have said that. 
but but nevertheless you you see a lot of good qualities i know i know people who grandpa was a was a preacher and then the son was a preacher and his son was a preacher and and i've seen some some beautiful things and some beautiful qualities quick that's not to say that one would be required in, in leadership in any facet, not just a church or a preacher. Leadership in any facet, that doesn't mean it, it needs to run in the family in order for someone to be successful. You know, there, there are some bad traits that may be passed from generation to generation. Maybe you know of families, maybe within our very own families, we might consider some bad traits that have passed down. But you know what? Jesus Christ is greater than our genes. And I tell you what, great-great-great-grandpa might have had this failure in his life, and the same one passed down to great-great-grandpa, and then grandpa, and then dad. But guess what? Jesus Christ got a hold of a life along that family line, and he, cha- he radically changed someone for his glory. Jesus is in the transformation business. And so it's great to come from, from such a noble background. But let's understand that, that Jesus can make a great leader from scratch, if you will. Amen? And so, and so we see here that the, thy king is the son of nobles. That, that can be a good thing, but it's not absolutely necessary. And then it goes on to say, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. So, so it says in verse 16, thy princes eat in the morning. And what we understand by that is indulgence. That's, that sounds like a positive thing. Breakfast is the best meal of the day. But it's actually a negative thing and it speaks of indulgence. But here, thy princes eat in due season for strength. And not to get full, not for, not for drunkenness. So this speaks of temperance and discipline. Due season has to do with everything having its appropriate time for things. And what the good leader does is for the best in his leadership. The best for him and the best for the people. If we did what we felt like doing all the time, it would not be the best thing. We, we would like to entertain self. We would like to do for self. That's, that's where the flesh goes. But in leadership, a leader needs to always be thinking about the best thing for them to do and the best thing for those that he is leading in what they do. Not to fulfill his own lusts. Let's go now into laziness in verse 18. That's what the word slothfulness means. By much slothfulness, the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands, the house droppeth through. Oh, if leaders of nations would read the word of God, So many people campaigning to be leaders never come up with anything original. They just give a speech that someone might have given 30 years ago, but they put a little different garnish around it. And you never hear 
anything of an original plan for one to be a good leader. If a leader fulfills his own lust and ease and pleasure, there is definitely going to be neglect of their duties. Can't, can't do both. Can't immerse oneself in both. Some, some will try it for a while, and there won't be any apparent, apparent negative effects. There won't be an appearance of, of something weakening going on. But all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the effect of the damage comes showing up. You know, so many things in life look very sudden that happen in, in a negative way. When a, when a country falls apart, when a business falls apart, it just seems like it's sudden, just like that. But it's really not sudden. There, there's a weakening and there's a lack of responsibility that is slowly happening behind the scenes and then it just starts manifesting and falls apart. And that's what we see. And everybody's shocked. How did this happen? Well, it was slowly happening all along. Most things are not a sudden crash. They are a slow fade most of the time. And so this is a warning to lazy leaders that this is exactly what can happen. It's kind of like, you know, I remember my 78 Camaro. I didn't have a needle for the oil or the water. It was just a round thing on my dashboard and it said oil and it said water or had a picture of water somehow and it lit up when the car got hot or it lit up when I ran low on oil and people called that back then a dummy light because because you've already done damage to the car. If that thing lights up you've already done some damage to the car. I mean, there weren't cell phones in that day, so do people really pull over as fast as they can and kill it and walk to the closest payphone to make a call for somebody to come get them? Anybody, if there's anybody young in here, my daughter's probably going, wow, that's what y'all did in that day? Yes, ma'am, that's how it was. But what did we do? We drove it down the road, Jeff, to the nearest gas station, and we pushed and we pressed on that car with that light on. And the same thing can happen in leadership. Pushing along without everything that is needed to be done, and all of a sudden you blow a gasket. All of a sudden things come crashing down. So we have, let me read this again. It's a great warning. And look, and look this, this fits everybody because... Because dad has a position of leadership in the home. You know, mothers and wives, you know, I, I'm going to tell you right now that they are the backbone of the home. You, you, go, into a, you go into a woman's house and, and you better be careful what you're doing. That, that's her homestead and she takes care of it. You know, so this, this fits everybody tonight. By much slothfulness, the building decayeth. And through idleness of hands, the house droppeth through. You know, we, we can never do damage by committing to hard work. 
Hard work never hurt anybody. When I used to lead the youth, I I know my age was quite a bit beyond them. But I told them hard work never hurt anybody. Hard work is, is good. We work online today. Online from home. It's a, it's a new thing that's taken the world by storm. Employees love it. And companies even love it. You know, work from home today. And by the way, before I go stepping on that a little bit, let me say this. I've heard that some employees are more productive from home than they are from the office. They are so encouraged by not driving an hour and a half to work and two hours home that they will work. They will work their fingers to the bone if they don't have to spend three and a half hours a day doing that. And I can understand that. But, but just go with me here in a sense of what can happen to a lot of people. And that is the, the discipline, the toughness of, of work starts, it starts waning. You know, and, 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 you know, the people just don't, may not work as hard, some anyway. And, you know, you think about a whole country, an active, hard-working country. And if we start getting weak in that area, then what happens to the whole country? It's, it's kind of like someone who lived in this house. And I know this story very closely, very well, real story. A hole formed in the roof. I don't know how big it was. It wasn't the whole house, but it was a portion of a room. And they didn't fix it. And just kept living. I, I, I can't imagine. I don't know if they put garbage cans when the weather changed or, what the, or, or tried to put a tarp or whatever. But... You knew what the weather was easily from inside the house because of the hole in the house. They never fixed it. They went on and on the way it was, never worked on the house, and it resulted in the complete downfall of the house. That house was bought for, I don't know, maybe whatever $115 a month was back in for, for a home based on the percentage of mortgage back in the mid-60s. You know, I don't know if that was $35,000, $45,000 for the house. It got sold 20 years ago for about, for about $10,000 because it had fallen apart and become nothing because it wasn't worked on. It, it wasn't protected in any way. The same thing that happened to that house can happen to a person, to a family, to a church, to a company, and to a nation. And it's a consistent habit of hard work that can prevent it all. Hard work is good. We might not be the most intelligent. We, we may, may not be able to do this and to do that. But good, honest, hard work is good. And, and God will bless that. If we neglect our duties and do not fulfill our responsibilities, it's going to be a high price to pay. We need good leaders in a nation, we need good leaders in all of these categories mentioned. Managing responsibilities without laziness. And we're protected by hard work. And the result of hard work is, well, for lack of another 
word that starts with an L, let me give the slang term for money, and that's loot. We're going to talk about loot now in verse 19. It says, a feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. I, I wonder, I haven't looked, but I wonder what kind of mess some people have made out of the end of that verse. But money answereth all things. Somebody wanted, somebody came into church one time, a, a guest, and approached me and wanted to give a seminar on getting rich and that everyone can and, and uh, that, that, that didn't feel right <laughs> and that didn't happen. They might have used the end of this verse for their own thoughts on that, but money answereth all things. Money, money has a level of importance in a person's life. Money has a level of importance in, in a church, in a business, in, in a nation. Money, money does matter in, in some ways. There, there are more important things than money, but, but it's a necessary factor in life. You know, money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. In other words, don't trust it. Don't put your trust in, don't put all your hopes in that your life can become so much better with more money and that that's what I need for life to be good. Don't, it's not evil, but don't trust it. And I've probably told you the story before several times. I'm not going to say who it is. Um, and by the way, I'm friends with them now, but Bill Lynn would know who it is. But, but someone, someone said it takes Jesus and money for, for ministry to work. And, and if you've heard my story before, I didn't like that at first, but I think it was because of the person and the way they talked about different things. And so I didn't like that comment. And then I thought about God calling a missionary. And I thought about that missionary learning a language of another country. And I thought about that missionary needing to fly to that country and, and, and check it out. And then, then that missionary is up and leaving their job and, and they're going over there, and they're not going for secular work. They're going for spiritual work, and they need a roof over their head, and they need food, and they need clothes, and they need to get used to the water, and they need to do all of these things and get used to the culture there. And they need to be supported. They need to be sent. They need to be sent with prayer, and they need to be sent with a, a financial means. You know, ministry does, does take money. I had, I had to say that that guy was right. I ain't, I'm not going to tell you who it is. <laughs> But I had to say that he was right. It, it, it's true. People, people have the wrong attitude with, about money. A lot, some people quit their jobs because it's not enough money. That's not wise to quit a job without having another one. The contribution that is made to a nation by hard work and the pay coming in. I know we complain about where some of our money goes. But it, but it goes to make a nation strong when it's used right. Sins can't be forgiven by money. We can't buy our way into heaven with money. Money will not give us joy, but it does benefit a nation by those who are willing to work hard and to help. It does a lot of good. I was tempted to, 
to talk about some failures in leadership where someone completely had the wrong attitude about that. And, and I so wish they would have looked at this. I'm going to stop right there or I'm going to contradict the next verse I'm going to read though. Verse 20, and we're going to, we're going to close. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. Look at the end of that verse. For a bird of... Talking about, talking about what we would say about someone, or what we would think about someone. And a bird of... All alone with nobody around. A bird of the air shall carry the voice the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. It doesn't matter. God's always around. And we think it doesn't matter when someone else isn't around or someone outside of our circle isn't around by what we say. If we, if we have trusted people around, we think it doesn't matter what we say or what we think about someone. It does. And it hurts and it shows. And, and it takes God in the life. For us to get rid of that. But he, but he will and He does. There's plenty of room and reason to criticize leaders in our day and time. I, when, I, when I was in my early 20s and worked my way up to management in a company, I found something written on a cardboard box about me by one of my employees that I wouldn't repeat here. It, it, it goes on. Criticism of leaders in our day and time. Many do that, but no one is justified in doing so. We may be right about what we say about someone, but we're not justified in, in the attack of criticism upon them. There are many, many bad decisions in politics today, but that doesn't give us a license to hate. We're to exercise self-control and show respect and consideration of the position. So many times we make something about the person when we need to consider the position. And when you think about a nation, when you think about a family, think about a church, you're talking about a, a, a God-set-up position as well. And so take what we will from this tonight. As, as we consider the leaders that we are in whatever aspect of life that we lead in and, and the warnings, the pros, the cons, the positives, the negatives that, that comes from God. It doesn't come from opinion. It comes from God. And by the way, by the way, a lot of this, people, people aren't going to be receptive to it, to you. In, in God-given leadership, God-given guidelines for leadership. It's never going to be to please the people. It's to please God. That's not saying God won't create some beautiful unity by great leadership. But the first thing in leadership is to please God and, and not people. Well, it was so good to, to be in the Lord's house tonight and... and it is time in just a few minutes for Master Clubs to come in here. Feel free to stay if you have kids and grandkids. If you want to hang out in the, 
in the foyer and talk a little bit, please do that as well. And I usually don't point this out, but, but I think we have one guest tonight, and she was here Sunday. Uh, what is your name? Susan. It is, it is so glad to have you, and I did not get to meet you Sunday, but, but it's a blessing. Susan Hunter. Everyone meet Susan, and we're going to close in a word of prayer, and we're going to depart tonight. Stephen Spence, would you please lead us in prayer, sir? as we close.